book of Haggai. Genesis, Exodus, Haggai. Maybe not quite that way. Uh, Haggai uh, is found uh, near the end of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, you can make your way to the left. And uh, it's one of the minor prophets. Uh, Haggai is a neat book. There's a couple of facts about this book. One is that it's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. The shortest book is Obadiah. And Haggai is the second shortest book. And then Haggai, unlike any other book, it gives specific dates. So this is, uh, it's happened in 520 B.C., but it gives specific dates. Uh, Verse 1, as we'll read in a little bit, is August 29th, 520 B.C. Uh, Verse 15 is September 21st. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1 is October 17th. And chapter 2, verse 10 is December 18th. And so it gives these specific dates. And what is happening is God is wanting to rebuild uh, the temple. The uh, Israelites, they have come back from their exile and and, uh, they were uh, charged to rebuild the temple. And they laid the foundation of the temple. But then things came, opposition, apathy. Uh, complacency, uh, distractions, all kinds of things came in, discouragement, and they stopped building the temple. And it wouldn't be until another 15 years later, till this time here in Haggai, that they're going to rebuild, they're going to begin the rebuilding of the temple, and in five more years after that, it will be completed. It was the work of four godly men that, that helped to bring the task to completion. Zerubbabel, the governor, Uh, Joshua, the high priest. Now, this is not the same Joshua as in Joshua and Caleb. It's a different Joshua. And then Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets. And so, uh, let's look here in Haggai chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, again, this is August 29th, uh, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider, your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. We live in a, an interesting day. I mean, 2020 is, has been quite a, a different year than any of us had ever expected. Uh, and yet, uh, I believe that God uh, is wanting to do some things and in our hearts. He's wanting to do some things in the churches. He's wanting to do some things in, in the Christians and even in the preachers. And I, I remember... Uh, this word that I heard for the first time, and perhaps you've heard this word before. I've never heard it in all my years. It's called COVID-19. Uh, I never heard that word until this year. And all how it's changed our lives. 
Uh, Megan and I were in a very busy uh, time in our ministry uh, in uh, uh, February and March. We had gone, uh, in just three weeks, we had driven over 4,000 miles, and that doesn't include flights and, uh, and a couple of revival meetings um, and another conference in Washington, D.C., and, and things were beginning to close down. We had a, a meeting in Washington, D.C. where we were at the Capitol uh, Monday through Wednesday. Thursday, they shut down the Capitol. We were able to get the meeting done. Uh, we ha- I preached in Rochester, New York the next Sunday and wanted to take Megan to the Niagara Falls. We went into Canada, saw the Niagara Falls, and the next day they shut down the border at Canada. And we were just kind of sneaking on through it. And I remember getting on the plane as uh, we're flying back to Arizona, and uh, there was 25 people on the plane. I mean, that was just odd. And when we walked in there, you could just smell the cleanness, the freshness of it. And uh, people have got their hand sanitizing wipes, they're wiping down everything. And I thought, this has got to be the cleanest airplane I've ever been in. And, uh, you know, and I think about our condition here in America, we're probably as sanitized or as clean as we've ever been in America, but not in the eyes of God. We're not clean in the eyes of God. Uh, I, I think of, uh, I, I think about how uh, they tell us to, Years, uh, these several years, uh, uh, many years ago, they're saying, you know what, America needs to fear ISIS. Uh, America needs to fear Russia. America needs to fear China. You know, now we need to fear this virus. You know what we need to fear is God. We need the fear of God back in our churches. We need the fear of God in the government. We need it back in our churches. We need it back into us preachers. Uh, and, and so we're not clean in the eyes of God. And, and then it, it seemed like the, the media was just telling us, don't become complacent. Uh, you know, make sure that you're separate, that you have uh, that wonderful phrase, social distancing. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, you know where the social distancing started, don't you? It started in February in the Super Bowl when the Chiefs social distanced from the 49ers and won the Super Bowl. I'm just throwing that one out there for Brother Rick. But anyhow, uh, and uh, you know, I, I think about all the separation. They're so concerned about separation. But oh, if we had that same passion with separation towards sin. All that America would be passionate towards separation for sin. All that, that, that Christians would be passionate for separation from sin. We become complacent, though. We become complacent when it's come to sin. I've had the privilege of being an evangelist of nine years. I've been all over the place. Several foreign countries. I've been to all 50 states. I've uh, been in, in more churches, I hope, that, than anybody else to hear today. Uh, that's my job, being in different churches and things. And I, and I find complacency across America. But I find complacency even in the churches that I go to. And I go to some good churches. And I, and I find complacency in the churches, but not only that, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm with some good preachers, but I find complacency in, in, the, in the hearts of the preachers. But even closer than that, I find complacency in my own home church, Faith Baptist in Sacramento, for I find complacency in my own heart. And here God is giving this, the people of Israel a call out of complacency. That is the title of the message. The call out of complacency. If there's ever a time for the church to hear the call and arise out of its complacency and do the work they're called to do, it is now. We'll see, number one, the cause of complacency. Number two, the cost of complacency. And then lastly, number three, the cure for complacency. 
To be revived out of complacency, we must return to putting God first in our lives. Now, how do we define complacency? What's the definition? Now, listen to this carefully. This is the definition of complacency. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. I'm going to read that again. Listen carefully. Self-satisfaction. You ever get there? Oh, I'm content where I'm at spiritually. I'm self-satisfied. That's a dangerous place to be. God wants to revive us out of that. Self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by an awareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Look here in verse number 2. He says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Now the Lord of hosts, in this second shortest book in the Old Testament, is given 14 times in this book. God is reminding them over and over again of His power, of His authority, that He is supreme, that He is the mighty warrior, that He is the the all-powerful King of Israel. Although the title has military overtones, it points directly to Jehovah's rulership over the entire universe. He stands ready to intervene for His people at any moment. You see, there is no excuse if God wants this temple to be rebuilt. If God's behind it, there is no excuse why the work cannot be done. They have everything at their disposal if they have God. They can get this work done, but they become complacent. Now, how did they become complacent? What was the cause of complacency? We see letter A underneath that. Complacency comes when we become distant from the Lord. Complacency comes when we become distant from the Lord. He says, this people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They were not in tune with God. They didn't have His heart. They weren't close to Him. They thought, oh, it's not time to rebuild the temple. But they didn't have God's passions. Oh, I, as a preacher, I want to have God's passions. I want to I be burdened with what burdens God. I want to have His heartbeat. I want to have His desires. They thought they knew what God wanted, but they were wrong. They weren't listening to Him. They didn't have His heart. They were satisfied with where they were at spiritually. And they didn't even realize how far away they had gotten from the Lord. Perhaps in this COVID time, you don't even realize how far away you've gotten from the Lord. We're not meeting quite like we were before. We don't have all the ministries and and all the gatherings like we've had before. And and now that that complacency has, has just settled upon your heart. It doesn't bother you if you miss a church service. It doesn't bother you if you don't spend time in God's Word. It doesn't bother you if you're not in time and spending time in prayer. That complacency has settled upon your heart. They'd gotten distant from the Lord. You see, God says here, this people... Most of the time we read through the Scriptures and God refers to His people as my people. But He says this people. This implies a divine rebuke. Because God's people are not acting like God's people. This people say the time has not come. The time of the Lord's house should be built. And God heard their words. God hears our words. He hears our murmurings and our complainings. And he hears this, them saying, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house 
should be built. Some people say, oh, it's not time for revival in America. How do you know? Maybe it is time. Maybe this is the time that God's saying it's now. Oh, it's not time for revival in our church. How do you know? It, it may be. This may be the time. Oh, it's not time for revival in my heart and my family. It's not time for me to pay the price for personal revival. Oh, I believe it is time. It is time for you and I to, to get to that place where we're willing to pay the price for personal revival. God heard their words. Their complacency towards rebuilding the temple revealed their complacency and their fellowship with the Lord. It's just revealing their, their spiritual condition. And so God heard their words, but now God wants them to hear Him. Verse number 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. Now God is going to speak to them. You know who He's going to use? He's going to use a preacher. He's going to use a prophet, Haggai. Sometimes when God wants to speak to you, you know who He'll use? Your own pastor. Your own preacher. Uh, I was at a church uh, recently with a pastor and been in the church several times, and there was a family that had moved away. And, uh, and he was telling me of the situation, and, and, uh, and he says, you know, what really bothered me is they never asked my advice. You know, the, the reason why they moved away was only for financial reasons. Never make a life decision based on material reasons. And he says, it just really bothered me that they didn't, they didn't come and ask us, because I could have told them some of the things that I'm concerned about with their lives. And uh, and oh I you know and you think about uh, God will use a preacher in your life many times God has used my own pastor in my life to help me and and to correct me and to get me in the right position and God's going to use this this preacher this prophet Haggai to speak through uh, through him to the people. When's the last time you heard God speak to you? Now He doesn't speak audibly, uh, but He'll speak to your heart. When's the last time you knew it was God that was speaking? That you could open up the Scriptures and He gave you something out of His Word that you knew it was God that was, that was speaking to your heart? When's the last time you have heard from the Lord? So we see that this cause of complacency, that they became distant from the Lord. But then the cause of complacency is they were fixated on their own ways instead of God's ways. They were fixated on their own ways instead of God's ways. He says, here's the message, a convicting question. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now God gives them a question. Now the answer, it's not that God asks them a question because God doesn't know the answer. You know, when God asks a question, what He is doing is He is wanting to see things from His perspective. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? I think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel uh, in the valley of dry bones. And I, boy, that, to me that describes America right now. The valley of dry bones, the very dry bones. And the question was asked, can these bones live? But you know it wasn't Ezekiel that was asking that question? It was God. God was asking the question to Ezekiel, can these very dry bones live? And he says, O Lord, thou knowest. 
God can do the reviving. God can do the impossible. God delights to, to exalt Himself through, through the darkest of times, through the weakest and the foolishness amongst us. Oh, He wants to exalt Himself and, 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 and uh, lift Himself up above and beyond. He wants to send the revival, I believe, to your heart and mine more than we even want it. I think about a mass revival. When I think about God and how big He is, how powerful He is, I'm encouraged that there could be a mass revival in America. But it's not something that's going to be worked up. It's something that must be prayed down. But it's going to start, as Pastor mentioned last night, individually. It could start here, in this church. It could start with you. It could start with me. God wants to revive us more than we even realize. But here they were, they were so consumed with their own ways. Of course, you and I, we don't have a problem with that, do we? We don't get consumed with our own ways, do we? Oh, yes, we do. He says in verse number 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, he's telling them, you've already built your houses. The word sealed uh, literally means panel, but the idea is that it is incom- it's complete. Uh, it's done, it's completely furnished, everything's done, and, and, uh, and here God's houses lie to waste. It's left in ruin and desolate. Does that describe your spiritual life right now? That it's ru- in ruins? That it seems desolate, that it seems wasteful? God doesn't want His house to lie waste. God doesn't want your life to be desolate. He wants to revive it. And they were so consumed with getting all of the things they wanted to get done. They were so consumed with their passions, with their priorities, that they were neglecting God. They were filled with their own ways. There's a term for that. Backslidden. Backslidden. Proverbs 14.14 The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. When you and I become so full of ourselves, so full of our own ways, we neglect God's ways, we become backslidden. You may be listening to this message and you know in your heart of hearts that you're backslidden right now. I've been there. Don't stay there. God wants to revive you out of it. Hosea 14.4 I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my my anger is turned away from Him. What are you letting lie waste in your life? God wants to revive that. We see the cause of complacency. But then number two, the cost of complacency. He says here, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. The cost of complacency is that it wastes our life. What a wasted life. What wasted days are happening in the lives of God's people there in verse number 6. I had a doormate in college. His name was Scott. uh, Scott uh, Perrick. And uh, Scott was... Uh, was a good man. He had a good heart. He had some learning disabilities, and and uh, and he was wanting to do an internship. And so he went to Illinois and was going to do this internship. And uh, Scott's kind of a backwards type of a kid, but very loyal, good friend. And he uh, 
comes to this church in Illinois, and the pastor says, uh, now, Scott, well, you need a car while you're here. And Scott says, uh, no, I don't have my driver's license. I don't drive. And he says, oh, okay. And he says, well, uh, can you preach for me some? And, uh, and he says, no. He says, I don't really preach. And Scott didn't. And he says, well, can you lead music? Uh, can you do something you know, with music? He says, no, I don't know anything about music either. And, uh, and the pastor's thinking, you know, what, how am I going to use this guy? Uh, and so uh, the, he's staying at the church uh, there in Illinois. And, and it, was, I know it was probably a couple of days into it, and a, and a big thunderstorm came through. And Scott sees this water in the basement just flooding the basement. And he panics. Uh, he grabs, uh, finds a bucket, grabs this bucket, and he goes downstairs and, and scoops up some of the water, runs back upstairs and opens up the back door and throws the water out. And he runs back down, scoops up some more water and runs back up, throws it out the back door. He does, the, does this dozens and dozens of times. The pastor thought to himself, you know, I, I probably should send my son over there to check on Scott. And so after about an hour of this, uh, the pastor's son came over. He sees Scott drenched head to toe with, with water, bucket in hand. And, uh, and then on the side was the switch to the water pump that would release all of the water from the basement. And, uh, and I'm thinking that, that is a typical Scott story. You know, you, he tried so hard, uh, but nothing was accomplished. And, and I, you know, I look here and, and it, people, that they're, they're working so hard, but nothing's being done. Does that describe your life? And you're just spinning the wheels. You're just going through the motions. I look at verse number 6. You know what I think? I think this is a hard life to live. Man, to work so hard and have nothing to show for it. This is a hard life. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Pastor mentioned the verse this morning. Matthew 6.33. They weren't putting God first in their life. You see, this isn't how God wants them to live. This isn't God's will for their life. He doesn't want them to live uh, this, this vain uh, wasting of time and wasting of their days and all of their efforts. But they weren't putting God first in their life. You see, you put God first in your life, you're going to be blessed. You put Him in, uh, in the periphery of your life, and you're going to have some problems. Oh, God is trying to get their attention. Put me first in your life. You see, they had the, the cost of complacency. It wasted their days. It wasted their life. I think of the cost of complacency in this area is the greatest cost, and that is this. Complacency towards eternity. Complacency towards eternity of where you will wind up after you die. Every single one of us, at some point, is going to die. The last I checked, 10 out of 10 people die. That's our future. At some point, will be our last breath. Some people say, oh, it's not time to think about eternity. It's not time to get saved. Proverbs 27.1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. It's not time to think about eternity. Hebrews 9.27, As is appointed to men once to die, but after this... The judgment, you are one heartbeat away from eternity. This could be the last sermon that I'll ever preach. This could be the last time I'll ever get to gather together. This may be the last moments. This could be the last day for you or for me. 
It is time to think of eternity. There are two places the Bible teaches us where our soul will go after we die. And that is either heaven or hell. There's only two choices, only two places. And after you die, it's too late to consider where your eternity will be. The decision will already be made up. I was preaching in a meeting, and, and it was one of my first revival meetings uh, nine years ago, and, and I was just wanting something from the Lord. I was fasting and praying, and, and I didn't know what I wanted from the Lord, what I needed from God. And, and the Lord just laid upon my heart to go to the cemetery. And I went to the cemetery, and, and the cemetery is a good place to pray. Uh, I enjoy doing that. I look at the, the grave markers, and I look at the names, I'll look at the dates, and I'll try to find out, okay, well, how old were they when they passed away? And, and then I'll read some of the inscriptions on the cemetery. And, and there was a, uh, Earl Rainbolt, a man that was faithful in our church, uh, just, man, just a faithful man of God. I was thinking about him, looking at his uh, grave marker there, and and, uh, and then I started looking at these other ones, and, and they would have uh, these phrases such as, safe in the arms of Jesus, or singing with the angels. And I wondered to myself, are they really safe in the arms of Jesus? Did they really come to a saving knowledge of Christ? Uh, are, are they really in heaven today? And, and I'm sure as I'm looking at these different grave markers and, and the names that represent these people, these souls, I'm sure there's souls right now that are in torments there in hell. And as I, uh, as I, my heart was just, just beginning to break, and I, I looked up, and it looked like the way that the, the grave, uh, the, the cemetery was, these grave markers were looking right at me, like as if it were a congregation. And immediately in my heart, I just wanted to preach the gospel, but my mouth was silent because their decisions were already made up. I went to church that night to preach at that revival meeting. I got up to preach, and the Lord just gave me a vision that. Those who I'm preaching to, they all will have grave markers. This is our time. This is our time to consider eternity. This is our, our, our time to, to think about, okay, what are, what's going to happen when I die? Now, most of us in this room this morning, we, we've put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us. We know that if we die today, that we would go to heaven. Most of us do, but do you? Do you know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? You don't want to be wrong in this. There's only one way that you can go to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. There are many ways to go to hell, but only one way to go to heaven. And you don't want to be wrong in this, because eternity is too long to be wrong. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The only way to go to heaven is through Christ. Your sin has a price. Your sin must be punished. And that price is death. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins when He shed His blood upon the cross and died for your sins and for mine. The third day He rose again, conquering death, conquering sin, conquering the grave. And He wants to give you that eternal life. John three or John, Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we get saved? Romans 10.13 For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're unsure about your eternal destination, the close of the message will give you an opportunity to respond and to get that settled. I can't think of anything more tragic to become complacent to than about your eternal destination. Not only does complacency, the cost of complacency, it, it, it uh, 
produces a wasted life, but it also robs us of God's blessings. Again, God didn't want them to live this way. God wants to bless them. God wants uh, uh, to do more in and through them than they even realize. I had a friend uh, many years ago who was telling me about his son Andrew, and Andrew loved cotton candy, about four or five years old. And he says, when you mention cotton candy to Andrew, he would just, eyes would just light up, big old smile. He loved cotton candy. And so one day he told his son, and he says, now, uh, son, I got to go into town. I got to get some things done. And, and uh, he says, but if you are, are obedient to mommy, he says, I'm going to bring you back your very own bag of cotton candy. And oh, Andrew got excited. Oh, I can't wait. You know, I'm going to get that cotton candy. And so my friend went to town, did the, the errands that he needed to make, and they made a special trip to the store, bought the cotton candy. He's driving home, and he's excited. He's going to be able to give this cotton candy to Andrew. He walks into the house, greets his wife, and greets Andrew. And, and then he asks the question. He says, now, Mom, was Andrew obedient to you while I was gone? And she put her head down, and she says, no, Dad, he wasn't. He was disobedient. Right then, Andrew's countenance just sunk. His heart was, was broken because he knew he was going to miss out on the blessing. He was going to miss out on that cotton candy. But you know who else's heart was, was broken and, and disheartened that day? The Father's. And I see that with us and the Lord. The Lord wants to bless us and do so many things through us, but we hinder Him because of our disobedience, because of our sins of unbelief. God, this is not God's plan for them to live this way there in verse number 6. Hosea 10 and verse 12 says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. They didn't have to live that way. They could have had God's blessings. They didn't have to stay in their complacency and neither do you. And so what is, we see number one, the cause of complacency. Number two, the cause of complacency. But then, lastly, number three, what is the cure? The cure for complacency. No matter where you're at spiritually in your life, there's a cure. And it looks here in verse number seven, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He repeats this convicting question, this convicting statement. The word consider means to set your mind upon, to meditate, to think upon. Put your heart upon your ways. Lamentations 3.40, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. You see, it's time to get honest with God. Uh, I read a quote uh, the other day on Facebook. You know, we complain about wearing the masks in church, and yet, before all this ever happened, most Christians wear masks in church. We're not honest with God. We're pretending. We're playing the part. We're, we're trying to, 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 uh, to have all the righteousness outwardly, but on the inward, we're, as, as uh, Jesus says, it's, it's full of dead man's bones. There's just dryness. There's death. It's time to consider our ways. It's time to get honest with God. And this downtime that we've had has been a great opportunity for us to get right with God. We would want to say, God, would you just... Just take away some of the things. I'm so busy. I, I've got all these other things. Would you just give me some time to, to focus on you? And, and yet instead of us doing that during this time, we filled it with all other kinds of things. We're still living distracted lives. Oh, it's time to get honest with God. 
someone said the crying sin of the church is its laziness after God. We have become so passionless towards God and so passionate for our own things. Consider your ways. And of course, he tells them in verse number 6, here's some things that you need to consider. We need to consider our ways. God says, don't you see what's happening to you? Don't you see what's the path that you're on right now? Do you see where it's taking you? Consider your ways of bitterness that you're holding on to. Where is that leading you? How is that bitterness treating you? Consider your ways of your anger. Consider your ways of your lust. Where is that leading you? Consider your ways of not trusting God. Leaning to your own understanding. Consider your ways of prayerlessness. Consider your ways of neglecting God's Word. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to the, to the fruit of his ways or his own doings. It's time for God's people to consider their ways. It's time for us to get honest with God about areas of complacency that, that we have. The cure to, cons- to, to getting back to God is to consider our ways, but then, number two, it's to get back to doing what God wants you to do, which is by putting His priorities first. Look at verse number 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Now, if you study this out, you'd realize that in Ezra, they'd already brought in the wood. They brought all of the materials in to rebuild the temple. Uh, they have the wood there, but the wood's not available anymore. Two possibilities. One is that the wood has, has rot. The other possibility, and this is tragic, is they used that wood for their own houses. Wow. Wow. Now, instead of having the wood right there, they've got to go up to the mountain. It's going to take more effort. It's going to take more diligence. And sometimes when God begins to reveal our our condition and reveals our complacency, we realize, you know what, this isn't going to be an easy fix. This isn't just, okay, I'm going to confess a couple of things and then I'm going to go on my way. No, you need to linger. You need to spend more time with Him. You need to stay there a little longer. It's going to take some more diligence to get back to the place where God wants you to be. But that's okay because it takes diligence to serve God. It takes diligence to please God. God's called us not to half-heartedness. God's called us to wholeheartedness. Psalm 119.10 With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. God tells us to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's called us to wholeheartedness. And when you and I are half-hearted, we, we're, on, we're losing. We're, leaving, we're living a defeated Christian life. God doesn't want us to live a defeated Christian life. No, He's given us everything at our disposal to live victorious. You can walk in victory over sin. You can be faithful to church. You can be faithful to God's Word. You can be faithful to prayer. God can revive you out of that complacency. And so he says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house. 
And then he says, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And oh, what a wonderful thing. It gets all the way back to him. That he would receive the glory, the honor, the praise that is due to his name. Oh, God wanted to, to revive them out of this complacency. And God wants to revive you out of your complacency. What did the rebuilding of the temple mean? It meant that they were going to get back to being God's people, to having a closer walk with Him, to being closer to God. And God wants to do that in your heart and in mine. It was time to rebuild the temple. It was time to seek the Lord. It was time to get back to work. It was time to do the the calling that God had on their lives. And it is time for you and I to hear the call out of our own complacency. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But the invitation this morning is the same invitation that God gave the Israelites. Consider your ways. What is it that God is showing you right now where you have become complacent toward Him and toward His ways? Ask God to reveal your ways to you. Say, preacher, God has spoken to my heart. And He is showing me some areas in my life where I have become complacent. And I want God to revive me out of that complacency. Would you please pray with me on that? Preacher, God has spoken to my heart and has shown me some areas in my life where I have become complacent. And I want God to revive me out of that complacency. Would you please pray with me on that? If that's you, would you slip your hand and I'll pray with you on that? Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Friend, have you ever considered eternity? When it comes to eternity, you mustn't be complacent. Eternity is too long to be wrong. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Christ? You say, preacher, I don't, I don't know if I died today that I would go to heaven. But I'd like to know. Preacher, would you please pray for me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, say, preacher, I don't know if I died today that I would go to heaven. But I'd like to know. Preacher, would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you slip your hand and I'll pray for you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Father, You see our hands. You know right where we're at. Lord, how often I have lived a life of a mask and not been honest with You. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us now to get honest with You. Lord, we prayed at the beginning, whatever it is that You speak to our hearts about, by Your grace we would do it. So Lord, may we respond now in obedience to You. I pray for these that Raise their hand, Lord, that You show them specific areas. Lord, that needs a, that they become complacent. They need to be revived out of it. And I pray, Lord, that they would make the steps of diligence and seeking You out to get that revival out of that complacency. And for these, Lord, that raise their hand, they're not sure that they would die today, that they would go to heaven. And I pray that they would not leave this place without having the assurance of that. 
Lord, may you have your way be done. This morning we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's